Well, thank you so much to uh, the whole Williams family for Stuart and the whole family there for uh, helping us, encouraging us and leading us in our worship this morning. We certainly saw Finn, saw and heard Finn there. Pretty sure we heard Ella as well. And we may even have seen Ella's fingers on the keyboard, maybe. And I'm sure Tracy was in the mix too there as well. Just a bit disappointed that there didn't seem to be any contribution from the goats. don't know if you can work on that for next time. But thank you so much. Just to add to the notices, uh, next week the Sunday morning service will be just a little bit different. We usually have at the end of our HBC, our Holiday Bible Club week, a special Sunday morning when we try to include elements from HBC. Well, we're going to do that again next week, but online, so it it will look a bit different next week. But that will be Charlie leading and Mark Tampkin speaking. And uh, I'm very excited because later on today, we will actually be meeting here live uh, um, in body for our evening service. That's at 6.30. It will be a small gathering, uh, and that's fine. We will be very socially distant, and there's lots of restrictions of things we can't do. But it will be just lovely to meet together again in this building in the name of Jesus and to uh, worship him. Even if we can't sing, we will worship him and uh, we will hear from his word. So if you'd still like to come along to that, then you'll be very, very welcome. It's helpful if you can let me know, not absolutely essential, but helpful if you can let me know if you tend to be here. Um, And uh, a reminder to those of you who are coming, bring your own Bibles because uh, we won't be sharing communal Bibles uh, tonight. And um, yeah, you'll be welcome. And we understand, I understand that many of you will be anxious about meeting together and not ready for that yet. And that's absolutely fine, of course. I will just say, for anyone who's been in a supermarket in recent weeks, I think coming to Kennet Valley tonight will be a lot, lot safer than going to the supermarket. That's my personal opinion. So let's turn to God's word together. Stuart read Psalm 29. Uh, We're going to leave aside our um, series in Romans for a little while over the summer. We're going to go back to our Psalms, our Life Songs series. And uh, we pick up where we left off in that series. This kind of crops up occasionally, this series. Uh, We're at Psalm 29, this Psalm of David. I don't know if you remember way back to when you were at school, um, that there were some teachers who would come into a room full of chattering students, chattering school kids, and with barely a whisper, they could silence the braying masses and command complete attention. Other teachers weren't like that, of course. Other teachers could shout as loud as they possibly could and still get nowhere. But those special ones, perhaps somebody's coming to your mind as you think about that. For me, it's... Mr. Harding, Alf Harding, purveying his mathematical wares through sheer terror. We did not mess with him. His voice was heard and heeded above the storm. Well, this psalm is about hearing the voice of the Lord above the clashing storms of the world, even in and through those storms. It's a voice which demands a worshipping response 
ascribe to the Lord glory. That's what we read here. Ascribe to the Lord glory. These first two verses, uh, first two verses, um, we see worship in the heavenly realm. Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Wonderful words. Uh, it's like a glimpse into heaven, isn't it? The Lord being worshipped for his glory and the splendor of his holiness, his otherness, his pure set-apartedness. That means he is far over and above any other being in the whole universe. There is none like him. Who are the mighty ones here? Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones. Who are these he is addressing? Well, angels for sure, we might say, and I think that's right. The angels, those glorious heavenly messengers and servants of the Lord, spending their days worshipping him in that heavenly realm. But it's interesting, that phrase, mighty ones, is a curious phrase. The Hebrew actually reads, sons of God. Not the son of God. But sons of God, that's a slippery phrase that crops up throughout scripture. It's used elsewhere to refer to angelic beings, but it also has a wider reference sometimes to all spiritual powers, including those who joined Satan in his rebellion, because they were angels before the fall, before they rebelled too. Um, If that's the case, maybe the psalmist is saying here, even those powers who try to usurp the Lord's lordship, stop it. Stop trying to do the impossible. Stop trying to steal glory for yourselves and ascribe glory to the Lord's. You know, the Bible is very clear that there is only one true God. That's a central truth of the Bible. One true God, the Lord, Yahweh. The Lord God of Israel. Other so-called gods, and there are plenty of them that crop up in the Bible. There are plenty of them around today. But other so-called gods are just idols. They are nothings, no gods, as they're sometimes called in the Bible. They're made out of wood or stone, and their image is made out of wood or stone. But there's nothing, they don't actually represent anything that is real. However... There are other lesser spiritual powers, those angels that rebelled with Satan. When humans devote their lives to things other than God, we give those rebellious powers a foothold into dominating our lives. And through that, they're able to hold us in thrall. And so, although pagan gods are no gods... It's true that those other spiritual powers can and do concentrate their influence around those things. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about demonic forces in the world. That's how that happens. When we think of that, we might think of pagan worship and black magic and and so forth. But, you know, demonic forces can be given a foothold by equally whenever we put anything before God in our lives and certainly in our own society Our desire for more things, for that materialism, our greed for possession. That's no less pagan idolatry than dancing around um, with paint on our bodies or whatever. But the Lord Yahweh 
has glory due to his name. Glory, that's a wonderful uh, word. It's related to substance, heft, heaviness, weight. He has, he has substance. The glory of his character and his holy presence. God reveals himself to us and he calls us to respond. He reveals to us something of his glory and he calls us to respond. You know, this is what true worship is. This is what true worship always is. Worship is a response to what God has shown us of himself. As we worship, we reflect back to him what he has already shown us. God has always taken the initiative. God takes the initiative, we respond, and our worship is part of that dynamic. You know, sometimes you will hear someone leading worship and they might exhort us to do something like, you know, let's, let's ascend to the hill of the Lord as we sing this song together. Um, and and, and the, the picture is almost of... of of using that sung praise to go up into God's presence. Oh, you have to be really careful with that. Any idea of worship as us trying to find a way up some sort of celestial ladder into God's presence is deeply flawed. Any kind of talk like that will lead to idolatry. It will lead to us worshipping a God in our image. Because here's the truth. We don't have to somehow find a way to God. He's done that. He stooped down in the person of his son Jesus to reveal himself to us and to lift us up to him. In Jesus, we are in God's presence and we respond to what he's done in worship. We don't have to find our way at by finding the right words, the right songs, the right musical instruments. That's not it at all. Those things help us to express ourselves, but they're not in themselves the heart of worship. The heart of worship is us responding to what God has shown us. We listen to his word about himself and we respond. And so we see uh, worship in the heavenly realms. And then we see this storm on the earth. And what an amazing storm it is, verses 3 to 9. How awesome it is to watch an amazing, uh, uh, a fierce storm, to hear the rolling thunder. And surely it's the rolling thunder that he hears that makes him use this phrase, the voice of the Lord, over and over again. Jumping every time the lightning flashes as we watch. Hearing the rain drumming down in torrents. It is literally awesome. Inspires awe in us. And to feel small and powerless beneath the might of the storms, the power of nature, the power of creation, that is, that is a, a, an incredible sensation. And yet, as a believer, to sense behind and beyond the storm, someone greater, someone more powerful, someone who can start up the storm and someone who can call the storm to heal just as quickly. That's what the psalmist is experiencing here. It's a thunderstorm. Perhaps he's even watching a storm as he's writing. A thunderstorm starting out at sea, moving over the land, first to the north in Lebanon and Syrian, which is uh, Hermon, Mount Hermon. Uh, the wind laying low the mighty cedars of Lebanon. 
And then the storm moving down over Israel, right down into the desert to the south. And the thunder makes the earth shake. It's an awesome storm. But the psalmist sees behind the storm the might and power of Yahweh the Lord. He is almighty. He's much more powerful even than this storm that he's watching. He is behind and beyond the storm. Above all the chaos of earthly weather systems, the psalmist hears the voice of the Lord. Behind these systems, he sees the hand of God. Nature is awesome. Creation is breathtaking in all its forms, whether it's a cute little newborn lamb or a very scary thunderstorm. But the believer looks above and beyond creation itself to the creator, to the sustainer and provider, to the Lord God. It's interesting, this psalm was, uh, was known as, as a psalm of, associated with the Feast of Pentecost. And it's intriguing to wonder when we get the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, uh, um, when, they, when the Holy Spirit came on that day, at the Feast of Pentecost. It's intriguing to wonder whether the mighty wind and the tongues of fire on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 were actually a deliberate allusion to the wind of the storm and the fire of the lightning in this psalm. Maybe that's the case. But the storm scours the land and we get a response from God. God's people. God's people are gathering together and we get a response. In his temple, all cry glory. In his temple. This is interesting. This is a psalm of David. And it's interesting, a number of David's uh, psalms mention the temple. But of course, the temple as we think of it was built by David's son, Solomon, after David's death. So what does, why, how does he use this word here? Well, it's that before, before what we call the temple was built, that same word that came to refer to that particular building, it was used, the same Hebrew word was used of a sanctuary and in particular of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting where the Ark of the Covenant was in in their wandering days in the desert and and uh, when the ark of the covenant when they took up residence in in canaan when the ark of the covenant was there for a while it was situated at shiloh and uh, this is in the days of samuel we read this this is in 1 samuel 1 once when they had finished off eating finished eating and drinking in shiloh hamas stood up now eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the lord's temple now we don't know what kind of a building that was was the tabernacle still there in those at that time maybe certainly the ark of Co- the covenant was there and uh, um so that, that it may have been in another building it wasn't the grand temple to come but that's 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 what the, the writer has in mind here. Um, so the precursor to Solomon's temple, I suppose. Um, the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant, that was the great symbol of God's presence among his people. And his people gathered around it to worship him. First in the tabernacle, later at Shiloh, and then in the more permanent structure of of Solomon's temple. But what is interesting, actually, when we think of the temple and we think of the tabernacle before that, built into the designs of both is creation imagery. 
The design of the tabernacle, the design of the temple is full of images of creation. Symbols of the world that God has made. There's garden imagery there with echoes of Eden. There are fruits, there are trees, there are beasts living in harmony together. There is water, symbolic of the river of life. The temple is where heaven and earth meet. It is, of course, where a symbol of God dwelling amongst his people. But in a broader sense, it is where heaven and earth meet. And we see that here in this psalm. We have God's glory seen on the earth in the midst of this great storm. And God's people in the temple respond by acknowledging and declaring his glory. And then in uh, verses 10 to 11, at the end of the psalm, we have the Lord's judgment and salvation. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. The floods. It's the only time outside of, of the uh, flood narrative, that, that account of the flood in Noah's time in Genesis 6 to 11. This is the only time that word flood is used in the Old Testament. Um, that's the time, of course, when God brought judgment on the earth. Here he is enthroned over the flood, over the chaos caused by the godlessness of humanity. It looks hopelessly messed up down here. But God is still reigning on high, enthroned as king forever. It looks like everything is storming and raging down here. But God is enthroned on high. That's what this psalm is telling us. You know, that flood in Noah's day, it wasn't just about judgment in amongst the judgment. There was salvation too, as God saved Noah and his family. We see this here too. The Lord using his reign, his power, his majesty to bring deliverance to those who trust in him. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. What a fabulous way to end the psalm. In the midst of the storm, all that noise, all that chaos, all that kerfuffle, the Lord blesses his people with peace. The storm is raging on earth, but God's people have a peace because above the storm, the Lord sits enthroned. And so it's his voice they listen to. Not all the other voices shouting for attention. Above and beyond the sound of the storm, they listen to his voice, the Lord's voice. And we as God's people respond by acknowledging and declaring his glory. As he said in verse 9, as one writer has put it, this closing word with peace is like a rainbow arch over the psalm. So here we are. We read this psalm in a stormy world, don't we? The world is full of storms, plenty of natural storms, whether meteorological or whether storms of of things that happen that are just thrown up by seemingly by the inbuilt randomness of a fallen and a flawed world. Illness, disease, mishap, stuff just happening to us on an individual scale, with our families, our communities, on a global scale. 
as we see very clearly at the moment. Plenty of man-made storms too, of course. People flexing their muscles and causing chaos and disorder. Even when people step in to sort out disorder with the best of intentions. So often the chaos is increased. We've seen that a number of times, haven't we? And certainly the the hassle, the frustrations, the limitations imposed on us by this wretched virus. What a storm that is. And all the time, all around us, voices, opinions, judgments, assertions. Who do we listen to? Well, we listen to the voice that is above them all. The voice that is behind the whole of creation. The voice that called creation into being and who still sits enthroned. He hasn't lost control. This hasn't taken him by surprise. It may have changed all our diaries. His diary remains the same. The voice that called creation into being. Despite what it may look like down here, he still does sit enthroned. And when we hear the thunder, we listen beyond the thunder. When we see the storm, we look beyond the storm. Which is not to say that we expect to understand why the power behind the storms allows the storms to happen. We don't understand I don't know if we should expect to understand. Not usually, very rarely do we, are we given understanding into such things. Why does this happen and not that? But we do trust. We don't understand, but we do trust. We wait patiently and we listen to him, not to the other voices. And as we listen, we respond in worship because that's what he's called us to do. That's the role he's given us in amongst the storms of this earth. He calls us, his people, to stand in the midst of storms and acknowledge his glory. Those in his temple cry out glory. We declare his glory. Because although it is, because actually, here's the thing. It is in us, it is in we we who are Christian believers, it is in us where earth and heaven meet. Because we are his temple. Because we are joined to his son, Jesus Christ, who is the great temple, Emmanuel, God with us. And because we are filled with his spirit, his empowering presence, we presence, we are his temple. That's what Paul says uh, in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? He's talking to believers. He's saying, be careful what you do with your lives, your bodies. It matters because you're God's temple. You are where heaven and earth meet. We have almighty God inside our lives and we are walking around this world. And how we respond to the storms of this life matters. We can point to the Lord and say glory. In the storms, 
with our attitudes, with our faith, with our lips, with our lives, acknowledging and declaring his glory. I'm not saying that's easy. I hope you don't think I'm saying that in a way that implies it's easy or it's straightforward. But we have to grasp our great calling in this. We know Christians are like tea bags. You don't know how strong they are until they're in hot water. More importantly, actually, you don't know how strong their God is until those Christians are in hot water. It was in the storm that the disciples saw Jesus' power to call the wind and the waves to heal like they were an unruly puppy. Actually, we're not called to be strong. We're not called to be capable. We're not even called to be adequate. But we are called in our weakness to point to the one who is strong, who is more than adequate. That is our role. And to him we cry glory. And as we do so, we point others to him, which gives him more glory. I wonder what storms you are experiencing in your life right now. Is your trust in the Lord who sits above the storm? Are you listening to his voice above the storm? Are you responding with calm and quiet faith? pointing the way to him and calling out glory. You know, prayer is key for us here as we do that. Prayer helps us to center our lives on this reality. It's so easy for us to pray what I call path-smoothing prayer. Lord, here's this threat, remove it. Here's this difficulty, take it away. Make my path smooth. Well, the Lord understands that path of course, that prayer, of course. He, he sees our pain and our frustration. And it's not wrong to pray that as a start. It's not wrong to pray that as long as we're prepared, as we pray it, for the Lord to change our thinking and even our prayers. But our prayers should go further. Our prayers do need more depth to them than just smooth my path, Lord. You know, Jesus prayed, didn't he? If it be possible, take this cup from me. You could say that's a path-smoothing prayer. But he didn't stop there, did he? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And so our prayers need more depth. Lord, in this storm of my life, reveal more of yourself to me. Show me more of your glory. I want to know you better. And if that takes the storm to do it, if like the disciples, you have to leave me out in that in a stormy boat to see that, then, then do. Okay, then. That's fine. I trust you. Lord, do your deep work in me, in the midst of this storm, even through the storm. Change me to be more like your son. Increase my faith. Lord, use me as a signpost that points others to you. And most of all, Lord, use me to give you glory. Even in this storm, dare you pray like that? Perhaps it's easy to say that. It's scary to think about it. Well, yes, it is easy to say it, and it's scarier to do. 
That's how we exercise our faith, isn't it? Our faith that he will be with us. He will carry us through. That our lives are safe with him. Here's the thing. I think that the more we do dare to pray like that, the more we will experience the promise at the end of this psalm. Sorry, my uh, mouse has gone to sleep on me. The promise at the end of this psalm, which is there in verse 11, the Lord gives strength to his people, the Lord blesses his people with peace. What a wonderful promise that is. It's interesting, this psalm starts with angelic beings ascribing glory to God. It ends with peace on earth to God's people. Does that remind you of anything at all? Remember those angels on the hillsides singing to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to men on whom his favour rests. They were announcing the birth of the new king, singing his glory. This new king who is coming to fulfil this dual theme of judgment and salvation. Coming to bear the storm of God's judgment for us. Bearing that himself. And so bringing us his salvation. Bringing us that ultimate peace that wonderful well-being, that deep-seated shalom that comes from living our lives now and living our lives for eternity in his awesome and glorious presence. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the promise At the end of this psalm, the Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace, even in the midst of that massive storm. What a lovely thing that is. Father, I pray that as we respond to the storms in our lives, you will help us always to look beyond the storm to you. Help us to center our lives on you, even in the midst of the storm. Through our prayers, help us to pray more than path-smoothing prayers so that we push through, so that you can do your work in us, so that we can point to your glory, and so that we can know more and more of that wonderful, deep-seated peace and your strength. Thank you, Lord. Amen.